Section 68 of A Cloister and the Hearth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The Cloister and the Hearth by Charles Reed. Chapter 63 A Dark Cloud Fell on a Noble Mind his pure and unrivalled love for margaret had been his polar star it was quenched and he drifted on the gloomy sea of no hope nor was he a prey to despair alone but to exasperation at all his self-denial fortitude perils virtue wasted and worse than wasted for it kept burning and stinging him that had he stayed lazily selfishly at home he should have saved his margaret's life these two poisons raging together in his young blood maddened and demoralized him he rushed fiercely into pleasure and in those days even more than now pleasure was vice wine women gambling whatever could procure him an hour's excitement and a moment's oblivion he plunged into these things as men tired of life have rushed among the enemy's bullets. The large sums he had put by for Margaret gave him ample means for debauchery, and he was soon the leader of those loose companions he had hitherto kept at a distance. His heart deteriorated along with his morals. He sulked with his old landlady for thrusting gentle advice and warning on him and finally removed to another part of the town to be clear of remonstrance and reminiscences when he had carried this game on some time his hand became less steady and he could no longer write to satisfy himself moreover his patience declined as the habits of pleasure grew on him so he gave up that art and took likenesses in colors but this he neglected whenever the idle rakes his companions came for him and so he dived in foul waters seeking that sorry oyster-shell oblivion it is not my business to paint at full length the scenes of coarse vice in which this unhappy young man now played a part but it is my business to impress the broad truth that he was a rake a debauchee and a drunkard and one of the wildest loosest and wickedest young men in rome they are no lovers of truth nor of mankind who conceal or slur the wickedness of the good and so by their want of candor rob despondent sinners of hope enough the man was not born to do things by halves and he was not vicious by halves his humble female friends often gossiped about him his old landlady told Teresa he was going to the bad and prayed her to try and find out where he was. Teresa told her husband, Lodovico, his sad story, and bade him look about and see if he could discover the young man's present abode. Shouldst remember his face, Lodovico mio? Teresa, a man of my way of life, never forgets a face, least of all a benefactor's. But thou knowest I seldom go abroad by daylight. Teresa sighed. And how long is it to be so, Lodovico? Till some cavalier passes his sword through me. 
they will not let a poor fellow like me take to any honest trade pietro venucci was one of those who bear prosperity worse than adversity having been ignominiously ejected for late hours by his old landlady and meeting gerard in the street he greeted him warmly and soon after took up his quarters in the same house he brought with him a lad called andrea who ground his colors and was his pupil and also his model being a youth of rare beauty and as sharp as a needle pietro had not quite forgotten old times and professed a warm friendship for gerard gerard in whom all warmth of sentiment seemed extinct submitted coldly to the other's friendship and a fine acquaintance it was this pietro was not only a libertine but half a misanthrope and an open infidel and so they ran in couples with mighty little in common oh rare phenomenon one day when gerard had undermined his health and taken the bloom off his beauty and run through most of his money venucci got up a gay party to mount the tiber in a boat drawn by buffaloes lorenzo de medici had imported these creatures into florence about three years before but they were new in rome and nothing would content this beggar on horseback venucci but being drawn by the brutes up the tiber each libertine was to bring a lady and she must be handsome or he be fined but the one that should contribute the loveliest was to be crowned with laurel and voted a public benefactor such was their reading of verbonus esquis they got a splendid galley and twelve buffaloes and all the libertines and their female accomplices assembled by degrees at the place of embarkation but no gerard they waited for him some time at first patiently then impatiently venucci excused him i heard him say he had forgotten to provide himself with a fardingale comrades the good lad is hunting for a beauty fit to take rank among these peerless dames consider the difficulty ladies and be patient at last gerard was seen at some distance with a female in his hand she is long enough said one of her sex criticizing her from afar gemini what steps she takes said another oh it is wise to hurry into good company was pietro's excuse but when the pair came up satire was choked gerard's companion was a peerless beauty she extinguished the boatload as stars the rising sun tall but not too tall and straight as a dart yet supple as a young panther her face a perfect oval her forehead white her cheeks a rich olive with the eloquent blood mantling below and her glorious eyes fringed with long thick silken eyelashes that seemed made to sweep up sensitive hearts by the half-dozen saucy red lips and teeth of the whitest ivory the women were visibly depressed by this wretched sight the men in ecstasies they received her with loud shouts and waving of caps and one enthusiast even went down on his knees upon the boat's gunwale and hailed her of origin divine but his share ami pulling his hair for it and the goddess giving him a little kick 
cotemporaneously he lay supine and the peerless creature frisked over his body without deigning him a look and took her seat at the prow pietro venucci sat in a sort of collapse glaring at her and gaping with his mouth open like a dying codfish the drover spoke to the buffaloes the ropes tightened and they moved upstream what think ye of this new beef mesdames we ne'er saw monsters so vilely ill-favoured with their nasty horns that make one afeard and their foul nostrils cast up into the air holes be they not nostrils senorina the beeves are a present from florence the beautiful would ye look a gift beef in the nose they are so dull objected a lively lady i went up tiber twice as fast last time with but five mules and an ass nay that is soon mended cried a gallant and jumping ashore he drew his sword and despite the remonstrances of the drivers went down the dozen buffaloes goading them they snorted and whisked their tails and went no faster at which the boatload laughed loud and long finally he goaded a patriarch bull who turned instantly on the sword sent his long horns clean through the spark and with a furious jerk of his prodigious head sent him flying over his head into the air he described a bold parabola and fell sitting and unconsciously waving his glittery blade into the yellow tiber the laughing ladies screamed and wrung their hands all but gerard's fair she uttered something very like an oath and seizing the helm steered the boat out and the gallant came up sputtering gripped the gunwale and was drawn in dripping he glared round him confusedly i understand not that said he a little peevishly puzzled and therefore it would seem discontented at which finding he was by some strange accident not slain his doublet being perforated instead of his body they began to laugh again louder than ever what are ye cacklin at remonstrated the spark i desire to know how tis at one moment a gentleman is out yonder a prickin of african beef and the next moment gerard's lady disporting in his native stream tell him not a soul of ye cried venucci let him find out's own riddle confound ye all i might puzzle my brains till doomsday i should ne'er find it out also where is my sword gerard's lady ask tiber your best way signor will be to do it over again and in a word keep pricking of afric's beef till your mind receives light so shall you comprehend the matter by degrees as lawyers mount heaven and buffaloes tiber here a chevalier remarked that the last speaker transcended the sons of adam as much in wit as she did the daughters of eve in beauty at which and indeed at all their compliments the conduct of pietro venucci was peculiar that signor had left off staring and gaping bewildered and now sat coiled up snake-like on each his mouth muffled and two bright eyes fixed on the lady 
and twinkling and scintillating most comically he did not appear to interest or amuse her in return her glorious eyes and eyelashes swept him calmly at times but scarce distinguished him from the benches and things presently the unanimity of the party suffered a momentary check mortified by the attention the cavaliers paid to gerard's companion the ladies began to pick her to pieces sotto voce and audibly the lovely girl then showed that if rich in beauty she was poor in feminine tact instead of revenging herself like a true woman through the men she permitted herself to overhear and openly retaliate on her detractors there is not one of you that wears nature's colors said she look here and she pointed rudely in one's face this is the beauty that is to be bought in every shop here is cerusa here is stibium and here is purpurism oh i know the articles bless you i use them every day but not on my face no thank you here venucci's eyes twinkled themselves nearly out of sight why your lips are colored and the very veins in your forehead not a charm but would come off with a wet towel and look at your great coarse black hair like a horse's tail drugged and stained to look tow and then your bodies are as false as your heads and your cheeks and your hearts i trow look at your padded bosoms and your wooden-heeled chopines to raise your little stunted limbs up and deceive the world skinny dwarfs ye are cushioned and stultified into great fat giants aha mesdames well is it said of you grande di legni grosse di stracci grosse di battito bianchi di calcina this drew out a rejoinder avaunt vulgar toad telling the men everything your coarse ruddy cheeks are your own and your little handful of african hair but who is padded more why you are shaped like a fire shovel ye lie malapart oh the well-educated young person where didst pick her up sir gerard hold thy peace marcia said gerard awakened by the raised trebles from a gloomy reverie be not so insolent the grave shall close over thy beauty as it hath over fairer than thee they began said marcia petulantly then be thou the first to leave off at thy request my friend she then whispered gerard it was only to make you laugh you are distraught you are sad judge whether i care for the quips of these little fools or the admiration of these big fools dear signor gerard would i were what they take me for you should not be so sad gerard sighed deeply and shook his head but touched by the earnest young tones caressed the jet-black locks much as one strokes the head of an affectionate dog at this moment a galley drifting slowly downstream got entangled for an instant in their ropes for the river turning suddenly they had shot out into the stream and this galley came between them and the bank 
in it a lady of great beauty was seated under a canopy with gallants and dependents standing behind her gerard looked up at the interruption it was the princess clelia he colored and withdrew his hand from marcia's head marcia was all admiration ha ha ladies said she here is a rival and ye will those cheeks were colored by nature like mine peace child peace said gerard make not too free with the great why she heard me not oh sir gerard what a lovely creature two of the females had been for some time past putting their heads together and casting glances at marcia one of them now addressed her signorina do you love almonds the speaker had a lap full of them yes i love them when i can get them said marcia pettishly and eyeing the fruit with ill-concealed desire but yours is not the hand to give me any i trow you are much mistook said the other here catch and suddenly threw a double handful into marcia's lap marcia brought her knees together by an irresistible instinct aha you are caught my lad cried she of the nuts tis a man or a boy a woman still parteth her knees to catch the nuts the shore in her apron but a man closeth his for fear they should all between his hoes confess now didst never wear fartingale ere to-day give me another handful sweetheart and i'll tell thee there i said he was too handsome for a woman sir gerard they have found me out observed the epicane calmly cracking an almond the libertines vowed it was impossible and all glared at the goddess like a battery but venucci struck in and reminded the gaping gazers of a recent controversy in which they had with a unanimity not often found among dunces laughed gerard and him to scorn for saying that men were as beautiful as women in a true artist's eye where are ye now this is my boy andrea and you have all been down on your knees to him <laughs> but oh my little ladies when he lectured you and flung your stibium your serusa and your purpurism back in your faces tis then i was like to burst a grinds my colors ha ha he he oh the little impostor duck him what for signors cried andrea in dismay and lost his rich carnation but the females collected round him and vowed nobody should harm a hair of his head the dear child how well his pretty little saucy ways become him oh what eyes and teeth and what eyebrows and hair and what lashes and what a nose the sweetest little ear in the world and what health touch but his cheek with a pin the blood should spurt who would be so cruel he is a rosebud washed in dew and they revenged themselves for their bow admiration of her by lavishing all their tenderness on him but one there was who was still among these butterflies but no longer of them the sight of the princess clelia had torn open his wound 
scarce three months ago he had declined the love of that peerless creature a love illicit and insane but at least refined how much lower had he fallen now how happy he must have been when the blandishments of clelia that might have melted an anchorite could not tempt him from the path of loyalty now what was he he had blushed at her seeing him in such company yet it was his daily company he hung over the boat in moody silence and from that hour another phase of his misery began and grew upon him some wretched fools tried to drown care in drink the fumes of intoxication vanish the inevitable care remains and must be faced at last with an aching head disordered stomach and spirits artificially depressed gerard's conduct had been of a piece with these maniacs to survive his terrible blow he needed all his forces his virtue his health his habits of labor and the calm sleep that is labor's satellite above all his piety yet all these bombs to wounded hearts he flung away and trusted to moral intoxication its brief fumes fled the bereaved heart lay still heavy as lead within his bosom but now the dark vulture remorse sat upon it rending it broken health means wasted innocence fled margaret parted from him by another gulf wider than the grave the hot fit of despair passed away the cold fit of despair came on then this miserable young man spurned his gay companions and all the world he wandered alone he drank wine alone to stupefy himself and paralyze a moment the dark foes to man that preyed upon his soul he wandered alone amidst the temples of old rome and lay stony-eyed woebegone among their ruins worse wrecked than they last of all came the climax to which solitude that gloomy yet fascinating foe of minds diseased pushes the hopeless he wandered alone at night by dark streams and eyed them and eyed them with decreasing repugnance there glided peace perhaps annihilation what else was left him these dark spells have been broken by kind words by loving and cheerful voices the humblest friend the afflicted one possesses may speak or look or smile a sunbeam between them and that worst madness gerard now brooded where was teresa where his hearty kind old landlady they would see with their homely but swift intelligence they would see and save no they knew not where he was or whither he was gliding and is there no mortal eye upon the poor wretch and the dark road he is going yes one eye there is upon him watching his every movement following him abroad tracking him home and that eye is the eye of an enemy an enemy to the death end of section sixty eight recording by john brandon